Thanks, Dan. Let's pray as we come to God's word together. Lord God, we thank you that you came into our world in Jesus that first Christmas time and that we celebrate this now uh, 2,000 years later. And we pray that as we consider this this morning, you would speak to our hearts and encourage us with your truth by your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. What's on your bucket list? You've probably heard of a bucket list, a, a list of things that you want to do before you kick the bucket, as the saying goes, before you die. When you think about the must-do things that you definitely want to do in this life, what makes the list? What comes to your mind? Um, I might just get um, the slide people to run the slides, if that's all right. Um, Bucketlist.net um, has a top 10 of bucket list items, and this is what they have on their site. So first of all, see the northern lights. Number one, back a slide. Um, two, go skydiving. Number three is get a tattoo. <laughs> Number four is go on a cruise. Some people, you know, like a fairly maybe tame in their bucket list ideas, but <laughs> that's a good good thing. Like a lot of people love to go on a cruise. Apparently, it makes the top five and swim with dolphins. That's that's cool. I've often swum with dolphins while surfing, but not actually like a, just swimming with them, but seeing them out there in the water. Uh, number six is get married. Number seven is go scuba diving. Uh, number eight is run a marathon. And number nine is go zip lining. Who knew? Uh, number 10 is buy a house. So I don't know how you feel if, if those kind of match up with your top 10 bucket list ideas. Probably, I'm guessing there's some shock ones in there. But that's their top 10. In the movie, The Bucket List... Wealthy businessman Edward and struggling mechanic uh, Carter find themselves together sharing a hospital room diagnosed with a terminal illness with just months to live. Uh, with Edward's great fortune, he starts adding to Carter's bucket list that he finds lying on the floor of the hospital. And they decide to do as many things from the bucket list as they can do. They go skydiving. They ride a motorbike along the Great Wall of China. Um, they, um, they go racing Mustang Shelbys. They eat out at top restaurants. And they climb a pyramid in Egypt. These things, I guess on the surface, they, se they seem like wonderful, fun, exciting things to do. But as you uh, watch the movie, you get a sense of, like, oh, there's a, an emptiness in chasing all these things. They're all quite superficial. They're all about seeing some great sight or doing some great thing. And the movie starts to go deeper. Now, if you do watch the movie, I warn you, there's some, there's some bad theology in there. Don't get your theology from Hollywood. Um, but this starts to go deeper where Carter realises that um, Edward hasn't spoken to his daughter in years. And their last conversation ended in an argument with angry words and have never spoken again. And you realise, 
Ah, this should be the thing that's really on his bucket list. And he's just filling his life with all of these other things to try and distract him and make him feel better from ignoring the one thing he really has to do. So Kata lines up, tries to orchestrate this great um, meetup between father and daughter to get them back together. Um, and he gets um, Edward there and Edward sees his daughter and he goes, what are you trying to do? You're, I, you know, I gave, let you into my life, but you're, now you're trying to fix it for me. And, and they split with angry words. This kind of whole bucket list thing went horribly wrong. Well, in the end, there's a happy ending. He does meet back with his daughter. He does get to say sorry for being a bad father. And he does get to meet his granddaughter. And you ah, oh, that was worth it. That was worth all the pain. And that was, um, he, he did what he was really meant to do before he died. But I guess as a Christian, you're left wanting more. You're left wondering, he hasn't, he's resolved his human relationship problems, but he hasn't resolved his eternal problems, his problem with his relationship with God. In Luke chapter 2, verse 25 to 35, we meet a wise old man named Simeon. And Simeon has just one thing on his bucket list. Just one thing on his bucket list. Let's walk through this uh, story and and have a look at it. We read verse 25. Now there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon who was righteous and devout. Simeon was careful to do what was just and right. You see, he was he was careful to obey God's law. He took God seriously. He was righteous and devout. And what else do we learn about Simeon? Three more things. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel and the Holy Spirit was on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Waiting for the consolation of Israel. What does that mean? Well, it means he was looking forward with expectation to the time when God's promised Messiah would come in fulfillment to the prophecies of the scriptures. Simeon was um, standing on God's promises. Simeon was a man of faith, living by trust, waiting in hope for God to do his saving work. It hadn't yet been done, but that's what he was waiting for. That what was on his bucket list. Then the Holy Spirit was on him. Well, what does that mean? Well, the Holy Spirit hadn't yet been given to everyone. Uh, that only happened after Jesus' death and resurrection and going up to heaven. And then the Holy Spirit came on everyone and tongues of fire were on their heads. But the Holy Spirit was uh, with him. God, through the Holy Spirit, was revealing things to him, guiding him. 
You know, I guess if Simeon was uh, like a Jedi, you would say the Force is strong with this one. <laughs> um, but then that would just make things more confusing because, you know, the Holy Spirit is not really like the Force because the Force can go good or bad, but the Holy Spirit's all good. And the Force is like this impersonal thing in Star Wars, right? It's just this abstract Force where the Holy Spirit is a person of God, the Trinity. And uh, Star Wars is... Uh, it's fiction, <laughs> right? Star Wars is fiction, but the Bible is history. Luke is history here. So, But you get what I mean, right? God was powerfully working with Simeon. God was powerfully working with him, guiding him by his spirit, giving him special insight, revealing things to him. And this is what God revealed to Simeon. Um, not only revealing who Jesus was and guiding him to the right point in the temple as we've seen. But this was all a fulfillment for what he'd revealed to him where he said that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. He would not die. He would live to see God's Savior personally. That would be a great promise, wouldn't it? That's what he was holding out for. That's what he was hoping for. This Messiah means, it's a, it's a transliteration of the Hebrew Mashiach, which means anointed, literally like smeared with oil, which was what they would do with the kings to show that they're set apart for this special kingly role of um, leading God's people and saving people from their enemies. And that's what Simeon was waiting for. This Messiah, this promised one from God who would save not just Israel, but the whole world. So what happens next? We see that Simeon is now involved in dedicating Jesus to God, God's Messiah. We read in verse 27, Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts. Then when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him what the custom of the law required, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God. What did the law require them to do? Here, there are three parts of what the law required them to do. The first was the ritual purification of the woman 40 days after birth, as uh, explained in the law in Leviticus chapter 12. And the second was the presentation of the firstborn to God, as explained in Exodus 13 and Numbers 18. And the third was the dedication of the firstborn into the Lord's service, as described in 1 Samuel uh, 1 and 2. So the, these parents were going to do their um, responsibilities under the Jewish law, going to the temple, the very heart of um, the life of Israel and the heart of their faith in God, the temple where God worked. And then we read that Simeon took him in his arms and praised God. Simeon takes Jesus in his arms and praises God. I asked my son Samuel if I could show a photo of him. I had this photo picked out, uh, looking through baby photos. Uh, and um, he said, no, no, you can't show a photo of me, Daddy. It's too embarrassing. So I just got a stock photo. <laughs> um, so maybe you still get the awe factor, the oh, isn't that cute? That, they, have you um, held uh, a new baby? 
Put your hand up if you've held a new baby. <laughs> That's something that should be on everyone's bucket list. It is amazing to hold a new baby. This new life, this new little person, and you just uh, wonder at the miracle of birth and this new little person being born into the world, living their first days in the world. This tiny little person, so cute, so helpless. Um, you hold them close and it's indescribable. But imagine Simeon not just holding any baby, but holding the Son of God in his arms and knowing who this is. God in the flesh as a human being born I'm holding him in my arms that would just be something else wouldn't it <clears throat> Simeon takes Jesus in his arms and that's it he's ticked off his bucket list <sighs> done nothing else matters it's completely fulfilled the greatest thing he's been looking for and hoping for has come and he says, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. He says, I'm ready to die, God. I'm ready to die. I've done everything I've wanted to do. He, he says, Lord, I'm completely satisfied. Dismiss your servant in peace. This word, peace, it is the Greek word erene, which is a translation of the Hebrew word shalom. And it's not just this absence of conflict. Sometimes we have a very weak definition of peace in English. It sounds very, you know, wishy-washy. It's not very significant. You know, just give me some peace. I just want to be alone or something. It's kind of a low bar of peace. Um, but this is peace means not just the absence of conflict, not just harmony in relationships, but a state of well-being, of satisfaction, of fulfillment. That this is how it's meant to be. This is what I've been longing for, this, this fullness and fulfillment. That's this concept of peace that he's talking about there. He says, I've, I've got it, God, now. You can, you can let me die in peace because I have this deep contentment, this deep inner peace and fulfillment. Because I've seen Jesus. Because I've experienced your saving one. And he goes on to explain this. For my eyes have seen your salvation. This is why I've got this amazing peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all the nations. <laughs> to see Jesus is to see salvation. To see Jesus is to see God in the flesh, to meet God in person. To see Jesus is Emmanuel, God with us. That's what we celebrate at Christmas. God has come to be with us as a human being, born as a baby that first Christmas, announced long ago by the prophets, announced to Mary and Joseph and the shepherds on the hills by the angels, and announced to the Magi from the east by strange astronomical events. 
and he comes arriving humbly in a stable, in a feed trough. And Simeon sees this one, this baby, for himself. He holds this baby Messiah for himself. Have you ever done something like that you've seen about, heard about, and then you've done it for yourself and you go, oh, wow, now I get it. I remember when I was in high school um, studying art, I saw the Impressionists in the textbooks, the artworks of the Impressionists, and I was like, oh, this is rubbish. I don't like these at all. Why, why would you bother putting them in an art textbook? They just look like splatters, daubs of paint. They're just. And then I, we went to the art gallery and we looked at the Impressionists and I went, oh, wow, now I get it. The colours are just so vibrant. They vibrate. The whole painting feels like it's moving. And it just captures this um, beauty and this intensity. You can never get it secondhand by just looking at it in a book. You had to experience it for yourself. Simeon experienced God's saving one for himself. Have you experienced meeting Jesus getting to know Jesus for yourself. Do you know that great joy and peace that comes from knowing Jesus as your Saviour, as your Lord, as the one come from God to save you? And this is not just about some personal goal of himself being saved for Simeon. It's about the great joy that coming comes from knowing God personally, but more than that, of seeing God's plan for the whole world, God's saving plan for the whole world. Um, you know, we live in a broken world, don't we? As we look around us in the world, uh, I'm sure our hearts are broken as we see Australia gripped with drought, the fires, people losing their homes, losing their lives losing their loved ones. As we look more broadly at the world and we see oceans polluted by plastic, as we see species being made extinct, and as we see poverty and injustice just rife all around the world, we seek to help how we can, but we want to make a difference for good, but we also understand that we can't save the world. We can't fix it. It's beyond our power. And this world is in a brokenness that goes back to Genesis 3 and the curse of sin on the world. Romans 8 says that our world was subject to frustration and decay and it groans longing for, for the release from this bondage to decay that everything is breaking down. And that God actually does this through Jesus. Jesus is the hope of the whole world, that God is going to make the whole world new, make the whole world better, deal with all the problems of evil, sin and suffering and death, and give a whole new creation. This is what Simeon has been hoping for. Not just salvation for himself, not just salvation for Israel, but for the whole world. 
God is fulfilling his plan to save the world in Jesus. And Simeon sees it and holds it as he holds on to Jesus. He says, this is a light for revelation to the Gentiles. That means the nations. A light for revelation to the nations, to all the world, and glory for your people Israel. How is this a light for revelation to the Gentiles? Well, God's good news of saving work in Jesus will go out to everyone. How is this glory to Israel? Well, Israel was the country, the nation, through whom God brought his saving one. So everyone's eyes were on Israel and they would get glory. God was fulfilling his promises to Abraham that I will bless all the nation through you. And here in Jesus it happens. You know, walking around at Christmas in the shops, uh, you can um, see if everything feels a long way from this truth of Christmas that we celebrate, the real meaning of Christmas, doesn't it? That Simeon experienced and announced. There's not much peace as you walk around there in the shops. There's not much contentment, but everything is driving discontentment, anxiety, lack of peace. As we come to Christmas, let's not let the craziness of the crowds uh, distract us or detract from the celebration of God's gift of Jesus. Let's not let consumerism or materialism that surround us infect our hearts. As we you know, give gifts under the Christmas tree, um, let us not think of what we can get but of what God has given us in Jesus already and of what we can give to others as an expression of God's goodness to us. Because in Jesus we meet God and we experience God's salvation, the greatest gift that you could ever receive. And because in Jesus we have not only this personal satisfaction, fulfillment and true inner peace, but we have the true peace for the whole world. Simeon then goes on to say, the child's father and mother marveled at what was said about him. They were amazed and blown away about this is what our baby is going to be. Um, Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, this child is destined to be the rising and falling of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed. Amidst the grand symphony of praise at God's son being born, there are some somber notes there are some notes of sadness and pain. Jesus is a sign that will be spoken against. Who would want to speak against a message like this? Simeon warns many will not accept who Jesus is. They will speak against Jesus. But this will serve to reveal their hearts. How we respond to Jesus, this is telling us, reveals our hearts and reveals our relationship with God. So be careful not to react to Jesus or dismiss Jesus lightly because it says a big thing about yourself. Don't respond to 
react to stereotypes of Jesus. Seek and find out the true Jesus and get to know the real Jesus. And there you will meet God, the one who is all-powerful, the one who spoke this world into being, who spoke and stars were formed, who spoke and the earth was born. When we meet Jesus for real, we meet God, the creator of everything. Lastly, Simeon says to Mary, and a sword will pierce your own soul too. A sword will pierce your own soul too. Mary will suffer as a result of Jesus, her son. Mary will suffer as she sees her son rejected by many. Mary will suffer as she sees her son go to the cross, nailed to the cross, dying the death that we deserved, taking all our guilt and our shame and our punishment on himself so that we can have that peace with God. This was Jesus' mission. This is how Jesus gives us peace. By taking our sins, taking our guilt, taking our shame, so that on our account before God, it says, paid for in full. And so that we can come to God with true peace. And that we, as we, as we live or as we die, we can know that true peace that we are ready to meet God. We are ready to meet our maker because of what Jesus has done for us. You know, it's, it's easy to know this in theory, right? But when it comes to that point where you're facing death and you're facing the possibility that you're going to meet your maker, then it gets real. When I was 15, uh, I got hit by a car and I was riding home from school and I got thrown out onto the road um, and I realised, um, you know, I, I ended up in hospital, dislocated jaw, broken arm and I thought, you know, like, I was really that close to dying and it really hit home to me. And then... Uh, two weeks later, I was a typical teenager, I was probably having lots of bad attitudes, right? Then two weeks later, I found myself in hospital with appendicitis. Um, they'd put me off and put me off and put me off and said, no, no, it's not, nothing, nothing, nothing. And then my appendix ruptured and um, they said, okay, we've just got to pump you with as much antibiotics and, and you know, um, we couldn't get you into surgery. So there was this night when I was in hospital and I thought, this is it. I'm, I'm going to die. I was in so much crippling pain. Um, and wrestling with this, I'm not ready to die. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not good enough for you, God. I'm, I, I'm, I don't know how I can face God because I know I'm guilty. I know I'm not worthy. And God, I've, I've got a lot of things left I want to do in my life. <laughs> And I was just crying out to God. Real to me. Where I was able to own it for myself and say, God, if it's your time for me to die, then I'm ready. 
Not because of anything I've done, but because of Jesus and his death for me. I didn't die, as it turns out. You can, you can, you kind of figured that out. But when you face death, it really tests that peace. So, are you ready to face death? Are you ready to face death with peace, knowing that God has forgiven your sins in Jesus, and knowing that everything will be okay with the world, that God is working His good purposes out? Like Simeon, are you ready to face death with true peace? And being ready to die is one thing, but are you ready to live contented and with real peace? Sometimes that can be a harder thing, right? Going on through all of the challenges of this life. Life is hard. It involves suffering. And everything in this life is is just makes us... Uh, go through challenges and stress and difficulty and takes away our peace, robs us of our peace, robs us of our contentment, robs us of our fulfillment. How do we be content in this life? Well, knowing Jesus, the source of true peace, we can be content in this life knowing that our ultimate need is met in Jesus and we walk on in contentment despite whatever difficult circumstances we face. Having seen God's great plan for the world, we can be assured that everything is going to be okay in the end, not just for us, but for the whole world. And knowing Jesus adds to our bucket list significant things. It changes our agenda. We're no longer we're pursuing these empty, futile, superficial things but we're putting on our bucket list the things of real meaning and real value that will be of value for eternity, the things of loving God, loving others, serving God, serving God's kingdom, sharing the good news about Jesus with others. And these things bring us real fulfillment and peace in this life even more. So are you ready not only to die well, but to live well. How will you live in this world of, of discontentment, this broken world, living out God's real peace in Jesus and sharing that with others?